2017. Broadcasting from deep within combined territory. It is every citizen's duty to resist the combine and learn the truth. Good afternoon, listeners. Welcome to Podcast 17, your weekly verbal tour of everything Half-Life. I'm Philip from Planet Philip, and with me today I have a cornucopia of knowledgeable Half-Lifers, starting with William, my co-host. Hello, William. Hey, Philip. How's it going? Hopefully my internet doesn't disconnect. And finally, I got my Steam account back. I have, uh, I, I don't know, I have something to admit. I guess I didn't submit a Steam support ticket for two weeks. And then finally, when I did submit a Steam support ticket, it only took like two days for it to be rectified. So apparently there's another button you have to hit after you fill in the forms and everything. Such a pain in the ass. But now I have my Steam back, but now my internet's being flaky, so hopefully I don't drop. But anyway, thank you for welcoming me. And uh, welcome listeners to another edition of Podcast 17, of course. With me also is Daniel. Daniel, please introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Daniel Ackert Glenn. I'm I'm the mod leader of Ragnarok Arena, Half-Life Deathmatch mod. I'm sort of the co-leader-ish kind of guy for Resident Evil Cold Blood, and the leader of a yet-to-be-announced uh, Source co-op mod that we might get around to talking about later. Um, that's about it. Okay, well, welcome to you, and also with us today is Stan. Stan, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm... I'm Stan, aka Slappy Bag, from uh, Interloopers community mainly. Um, I'm an independent developer, haven't really got much to my name, uh, just general maps and a bit of uh, mod work, just for failing mods though, unfortunately. That's really it, really. And also joining us today is Alex, aka Your Evil Twin, a staff writer from Planet Half-Life. So welcome, Alex. Hello, great to be here. Um, not sure if it's right to call me a staff writer for Planet Half-Life. It has been a good year or so since I've done anything for them, but I never formally quit, so I suppose you could call me that. Uh, at the moment, I'm more into uh, developing levels and mods myself. Well, welcome to everybody, one and all. William, tell us about the news, or shall I start with the podcast news? Podcast news? Yeah, why don't you start off with podcast news, let the listeners hear what's going on with us. Okay, so podcast news, here we go. First of all, our contact page is now live, so if you've been having trouble contacting us and you want to talk to us, send us sweet nothings, tell us how much you love us or hate us, you can do that easily with a link on the main page. Also on the site, the participants page is now live, which lists the people that have been on the show and who they relate to. Another page live is the features live, which is basically a quick list of all the different types of sections we have in the show. Lastly, we have listeners question feature. This is something I'm just introducing now. What we'd like to do is we'd like listeners to send in an audio question to us, and then the people on the show will respond to that question. The kind of questions we're looking for are not specifically necessarily to do with Half-Life Story, just general questions about gaming. The reason it needs to be an audio question is because we're a podcast, not just a website. So what you do is you record something and send it to us, and then we'll play it back, and then we'll talk about it. And lastly, to do with the podcast itself, is we've been receiving decreasing number of ratings or votes. 
uh, through each show. And I'm just curious as to why that is. We started with 67, and then we went down to 40, 30, and the last one only had 16. The, the votes are still high. We're very happy for that. But the number of votes, does any of the, uh, sorry, do any of the guests have any ideas why that might be? Because PHL stopped posting about us. Damn you, PHL! Well, damn you, PHL's a good thing to say anyway. Kidding, of course. But, uh, people just like to say bad things, and people like to comment on bad things. And the first few shows, they were good, but they weren't too great. And I think you could um, say that because of the rising quality, people don't feel that they need to go out and vote one. They just say, oh, that's pretty good, and then they move on. Or they make a comment, but they don't vote. Yeah, plus people are lazy. <laughs> I'm curious, do you have a way of tracking how many people have listened or downloaded the podcast? Yeah, we do, and uh, those numbers haven't really fluctuated, although we can't track iTunes listens. But uh, we do track all the others, uh, direct streams and direct downloads, and those haven't been really moving around a lot. Plus, the amount of comments we get hasn't been moving around very much either. It's just the ratings that Philip's worried about. I understand what you're saying, Daniel, about you know people only complain, but 90% of the ratings have been either four or five. It's not that the first few received very low ratings, and then slowly we got less votes, but the ratings went up. The ratings themselves have been either four or five, with the occasional one, but it's not, it's not that. It's just the number of people voting. I don't know. Maybe people are just lazy. Stop being lazy. Vote! Or, well, here's another theory. It's just the first few votes is when people start listening to it. We've got re- you've got repeat listeners now, and they just don't feel that they need to vote, which is obviously wrong. They need to vote right now. Yeah, exactly. I voted on the uh, first two, and then I haven't from then on, really. Because it just... Yeah, my original one counts. Just go down the list. Finishes, I'll be sure to go and vote. Yeah, just go down the list, everybody who's listening right now. Go down the list and just click 555555. That's all you gotta do. It's really that simple. Just stop vote us. It's important to us. It feeds our egos. And also, uh, Philip forgot to mention that uh, there's a lot of activity going on in our forums. We've opened up a whole bunch of uh, forum boards now, uh, as per popular demand. Uh, you can go on there and chat and rant or whatever, talk about anything. we got some cool people posting uh, some shots of their maps and... Uh, there was one guy on there who wanted to know something about Half-Life. So, I mean, the boards are active, and uh, there's actually some really interesting conversations. So head up over on the boards, and, uh, yeah, keep active. So I think that's it about podcast news. Anything else, Phil? No, not that I can think of. We have uh, something to announce probably in the next couple of weeks, um, but nothing that, that needs to be done now. All right, so moving right along, we're going to talk about Left 4 Dead right off the bat, as we always do. And uh, this week was a big week because, as you all know, Left 4 Dead was released. I hope you all had a chance to play it and uh, get some opinions on it. And our first news story follows just exactly that. Gabe presses the big red button. You can uh, check that out. There's actually a device in Valve to where um, on every release they hook it up. I think it just has an Ethernet cord and a power cord attached to it. But uh, they just hit this big red button, they flip all the switches, and away the release goes. And it's fully working too, which is actually pretty interesting. So anyway, Left 4 Dead is released. I want to ask uh, a few of the other guys, what do you think about Left 4 Dead? Uh, boring. Really? Why is that? <laughs> Blasphemy! <laughs> um, I just... 
I felt really pumped the first time I faced a horde of zombies. Like, oh yeah, zombies, great! Second horde, oh, zombies! Third horde, zombies. The, the weapons are boring, and they feel like they've been copied directly from Counter-Strike Source, and there's no variation on them. You've literally got machine gun, bigger machine gun, shotgun, faster shotgun, pistol, and then some explosive devices. And I'll give Vov this, the maps are beautiful, and I love them. Unfortunately, there's no story behind them. There's no story behind the character, I just... I don't feel any real reason to play. Well, it is it's a multiplayer game. Basically, I mean, you don't really need a story for Counter-Strike or Team Fortress 2 either. It's just this um, Left 4 Dead adds some of the single-player experience to a multiplayer game. But if you can't really go into it looking for a story. No, I, I, I have to agree with you. There is The story isn't what the game's about. It's, it's really in its most basics, and a lot of people have been commenting about this on our, uh, on our shows. In its most basics, it's a co-op game, and really you can only enjoy it if you have somebody to play with and you have friends to play with. You're not taking it for the story, you're not taking it for the single-player experience. So, Philip, I know you have a few things to say and to comment against what uh, everybody has been saying in these shows, so would you like to defend yourself? Uh, no, I don't want to defend myself because I don't have anything to defend. But what I would like to do is to respond to some of the emails that I've received, um, calling me names and telling me that my point of view is not really uh, a sensible one. All I'm trying to say is that I don't like it. Uh, I'm not saying it's inherently a bad game or because Valve made it, it's not very good. I'm just expressing my personal opinion that I don't really like zombies. I don't like multiplayer games. And for me, therefore, the game is boring. Um, but lots of people have been telling me that my point of view is wrong and I respect their point of view. But people are really giving me a bit of a, a, a hard time over this. And I think that you, you people really need to get a life. Oh, <laughs> we just lost like 20 listeners. <laughs> it's like, I don't like peas, but it doesn't mean you're going to lynch me, is it? <laughs> you don't like peas. Yeah, but were but... they valve peas? That's the question for some people, huh? <laughs> but Phil, you had some really good points, and I do agree with you on a lot of things. So, in its most basics, I don't want to talk too much about this because we talked about it so much over the past couple episodes. Like I said, in its most basic form, it's a co-op experience. If you don't want to play with friends and you don't want to have a, like a disconnected multiplayer session, then don't play the game. It's just that simple. Um, don't start looking for things that aren't there and uh, saying they're there just because you want them to be there, so to speak. Um, even I have to admit that the game's not perfect, and there's everybody who loves this game admits that it's not perfect. And uh, I think that's just what it barrels down to. So, to be fair, it is possible to have you know a strong story in a in a co-op game. The perfect example being um, Half-Life: Decay, um, where you know it's a two-player game designed you know it's designed for co-op, yet it has all the you know the plot and characterization of um, of a Half-Life single-player game. Well, actually, I'm just going to throw this in real quick. Left 4 Dead actually had connecting cutscenes and storylines in between the maps, uh, if you listen to the commentary about it, but they took it out because the playtesters said that it felt like it... it um, What's the word here? Invalidated their experience because the endings weren't, you know, happy and great. But I, I it's a zombie movie. I don't think the endings should be happy or great. But, eh. 
Exactly, since when have zombie movies had good stories anyway? <laughs> yeah, the game is really just a social critique of both zombie movies, and, I mean, if you're going by zombie movies, they're not good in themselves, so why should the game... The, the game does feel like a B-zombie movie, which is great, because I love B-zombie movies, and Nick was saying that it's just basically a hats-off to Romero, and uh, in its most basic form, that's what it is as well, so... I don't think there's anything quite like it, which is nice. Um... There's not really a nice zombie co-op game. Uh, maybe what Call of Duty World of War just recently tried to do, but that was just because Left 4 Dead was coming out and they wanted something. Yeah, I'll give you that. That That's a good point. I think But what's a shame is I wish that Valve, rather than making Left 4 Dead a, a zombie game, which admittedly I do enjoy, if instead they'd decided to do another Half-Life game and done a Half-Life co-op experience, uh, an official version of... Synergy or Obsidian, con uh, Obsidian Conflict, um, you know, or Sven Co-op, um, because the same system, you know, of you know helping your buddies and the game changing every time you play could work just as well with Combine Soldiers and Antlines. Oh, I 100% agree. And the players just need something like that. The Half-Life community always, always asks for more, more co-op, but nobody seems to deliver, and definitely not Valve. If you remember back, maybe one or two weeks, I mentioned that perhaps Valve should have set this in the Half-Life universe, and a few people agreed, and some people disagreed with me, but I would have been more tempted to have played it if it was within the Half-Life universe, especially if they revealed something about the storyline that wouldn't have been revealed anywhere else. Yeah, that's that's what made Half-Life Decay excellent. I mean, some people would argue that the um, you know the Gearbox expansions aren't official, um, but, you know, it did drop bits of storyline, which aren't important to the overall picture. They don't change your knowledge of everything that went on. Uh, you can easily not play Decay and still know what goes on in Half-Life, but it adds, you know, an extra little bit of depth to certain elements. You know how and why the soldiers arrived and, you know, and things like that, and that the scientists did actually have a plan to try and reverse the resonance cascade, and it didn't work too well. Um, so, yeah, you can... You, you know, it could have been quite possible for Valve to make a uh, a Half-Life 2 game with co-op that could, you know, from another perspective, that would have added something more to our understanding of the the Combine or the Resistance. At the same time, you think they would have learned their lesson, though, from Portals, because Portals got such a huge acclaim for having that tie-in with the Half-Life universe, you know, the Aperture Science Facility having... Uh, competing or competing for funds against Black Mesa, and I loved that. That was my favorite part of uh, Portals was that cross connect storyline. And I know there's a lot of people who really liked that as well. They loved reading, uh, you know, the slide presentations that were on the uh, overhead projectors. Um, I don't, I don't, I really don't know why they didn't do that with Left 4 Dead. It would have just been cool. Um, Nick has a theory that there's a lambda symbol on the side of uh, oh, what's the biker's guy's head? His hairline is in the shape of a lambda symbol if you haven't seen the francis if you haven't seen that yeah i mean they could have easily made father gregory one of the the main characters in the in the uh, game and they could have had everybody else to be a rebel or even a a, a a turned metro cop and it could have been set in part of ravenholm it would have worked perfectly i the only thing i can think why valve decided not to go with that is it kind of already exists there's two um, Half-Life 2 co-op mods, there's Obsidian Conflict, there's Synergy, maybe there's another one or two that I haven't heard of. Um, and they are reasonably competent. If you get on a good server with a good connection and it's a good map, then it can be a good experience. So maybe Valve felt that they'd just be treading on ground that modders have already treaded on. 
I agree. I'm bored of uh, Half-Life zombies, to be honest. I mean, the last couple of weeks, there's been way too many Half-Life zombie maps and Half-Life zombie mods and things like that, and it's just it's just full everywhere. And I think it's good for them to just get out there and do something different for once instead of keeping themselves stuck in the boots of Half-Life. Yeah, um, I, I really, I'm glad they actually came up with a new intellectual property. I'm actually glad they did that. I guess my own, my biggest thing is that I was expecting a big storyline with the Valve game, and I didn't get one, so I'm still all, um, old man angry over the fact I didn't get that. So that might just be my problem with it. But I am glad that they chose to go with a new intellectual property instead of making another sequel when we're we're drowning in sequels right now. Yeah, I mentioned that before on other shows, too. Uh, Valve needs to find a way to get out of the Half-Life series. They can't just concentrate on one thing, and you always hear about people talk, and uh, never, never limit yourself, and Valve is definitely limiting themselves with just Half-Life. You mean, I mean, you, you say Valve is a development group, and you instantly think Half-Life, where there's other development groups who've worked on millions of different IPs, and... Uh, I think Left 4 Dead was really their push, and they're they're testing the community to see, you know, will this take off? Uh, will people become interested in something other than Half-Life? I think that might be their, their main motivation behind it. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but um, did they really develop the IP, or did they get it from Turtle Rock? I don't know how far along the development cycle they were when they became part of Valve. And there are other studios who have focused just on one particular uh, IP and have done very well. I mean, the the one that springs to my mind is uh, Epic um, with Unreal Tournament. And okay, it's a different game, but they focused on that. And having said that, though, they did, in, in fact, edit that because they released Gears of Wars. Yeah, and actually, uh, Unreal Tournament three wasn't that great when they moved on to Gears of War. So I guess you could say maybe it's time to stop constantly making um, Unreal Tournament games and start moving with Gears of War and whatever comes after Gears of War. But it's clear to me that, uh, first off, two, two points. First off, Valve made a conscious de- decision to keep Left 4 Dead like Turtle Rock made it. They could have easily added um, Half-Life-related information into Left 4 Dead, but they didn't. They had lots of time to do it. They had lots of room to do it. And secondly, um, you you know, it's clear to me that Valve didn't put their top heads on Left 4 Dead. You know, you don't have Mark Laidlaw writing the stories. Um, and you don't have the people who really coined the Half-Life universe working on Left 4 Dead. Um, which is interesting, because they're kept behind closed doors working on other things Half-Life related, most likely. And I think what happened with Epic is that they took their entire um, Unreal team and worked on Gears of War. And that was a clear move, whereas with Valve, they just have a subset of their group working on Left 4 Dead and still keeping their top players behind the doors, so to speak. That is a good point, yeah. But anyway, um, a couple more things to talk about Left 4 Dead. Uh, just that they've released, or they've reached 300 or 30,000 players in one, in one day which was extremely interesting. Uh, on the release day, there's 30,000 players playing Left 4 Dead. And I've been playing a lot of EVE Online right now, and there's not even that much playing at one time in a whole day. Uh, and that's interesting. And that's an MMO. So just give you a little comparison there. Metacritic has given it... I'm just opening up the Metacritic right now. It's an 88 Metacritic review, which is insane. That's a really high score for Metacritic. And 9.6 user review. So it's interesting to look at that. So the game is getting uh, pretty good acclaim. 
Yeah, I haven't actually got Left 4 Dead yet because uh, rather than going through Steam, I pre-ordered it through Amazon um, and get it much much cheaper. I usually get everything through Steam; it is cheaper. But in this case, Valve seemed to have priced it a bit high. How much are you paying through Amazon? Uh, Nineteen pounds ninety-nine pre was the pre-order price. That's about as much. That's about as much as it comes to if you buy the whole four-player pack. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's got more to do with the exchange rate on Steam than anything. Well, that's the thing. The pre the Steam pre-order price was forty-five dollars, which would come to uh, about thirty pounds, and, and so I've gotten it for nineteen pounds. But of course, it means you know it's released the retail version released slightly later than the Steam version, and also with super saver delivery, it means you know I still won't have it until next week. Still a big difference though, thirty to twenty. Yeah, I figured it's worth waiting a week for. That. Yeah, and Steam is, it, it's interesting to see though, because Steam is so synopsis with uh, cheaper prices. They always release games and they're ridiculously lower than retail prices. I was surprised to see Left 4 Dead price so high, to be honest. But I have one more thing to talk about Left 4 Dead, and it's on the show notes. Um, I was listening to other podcasts this week, and obviously everybody's talking about Left 4 Dead. And they mentioned something that we haven't really covered, and that's the only one game mode type of play. Uh, let me kind of explain how this works. Left 4 Dead clearly has only one type of game mode, and that's co-op. Um, obviously, it has the infected versus play, but that's not their center focus. Um, games nowadays are coming out with so many different types of game modes, and what they do in essence is they separate their players uh, from one game mode to another. So say you want to play Capture the Flag, and uh, like 80% of the population is playing uh, Deathmatch. You know, you go into the game disappointed. So what do you guys think about um, Left 4 Dead and games in the future, possibly, only having one game mode and concentrating on only that one type of gameplay? How many other games do you know that have co-op but different game modes that's, that's in the same vein as Left 4 Dead? I mean, something like Unreal Tournament, it is, is, I think that of that as more multiplayer rather than a co-op game, even though that you'll play with your team. I'm not sure that you can make an exact kind of comparison between uh, Left 4 Dead and those other types of games. Mm, sure you can. I mean, the, the Halo games, you can play Halo single-player, or you can play through the story cooperatively with someone else, or you can play multiplayer deathmatch. And uh, Half-Life for PlayStation 2, you, ca you had the Decay co-op mode, and you also had the standard deathmatch, and you also had the standard Half-Life single-player game. I, I keep bringing up World at War, Call of Duty, but Call of Duty is one of those games with a million game modes, and they also have it too. You have single player, you have co-op, you have the zombie co-op, then you have deathmatch, and then you have like capture the points, and it's just so much stuff in one game. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, but is it a co-op game? Yeah, you can play the, um, the the latest Call of Duty does have a you can play the standard single player story as a uh, co-op experience with several mates. Yeah, but the thing with those is it's primarily single-player, isn't it? And it, co-op is kind of like a, an extra multiplayer mode, whereas Left 4 Dead is built from the ground up. Co-op, co-op, co-op. What I'm trying to get at, though, is that those things do seem like tacked-on extras, um, whereas Left 4 Dead, they just concentrate on co-op. What I'm asking is, do you think removing those tack-on extras and just concentrating on one game mode would probably be, would be better for the community or the gaming scene? Um, even a bad game becomes good if you can play it cooperatively with someone else. 
Ooh, I'm not sure I agree with that. Because because you have fun playing with your friend, you have a laugh together. I mean, if a bad is actually game in a, if a game is actually horrible to play, then I suppose that would apply in co-op. But if a game is merely mediocre, the fact that you play it with someone else can boost it up. I agree with that as well. Um, there was a mod for co-op for the original Far Cry, and playing that just so much better than playing it on your own. It just I didn't really enjoy Far Cry. One thing I'm very curious is about is how long it will take the community to actually introduce new types of game modes. You know, will they make a, a capture the flag or will they make some kind of new game modes to add on to Left 4 Dead? What do you think? Will they? Um, well, technically Left 4 Dead does have two game modes as versus and uh, cooperative. I don't know. It just doesn't, I don't know if it would fit with two separate, with other game modes. You could you could make a solid single player experience. You could remove the co-op aspects, but keep the way that the game changes every time. Um, Sin episodes emergence uh, did that. What enemies you encountered, what weapons they were armed with, um, would change depending on how you're playing the game. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of community-based maps where uh, we're going to see different types of game modes built into the co-op experience. Like, uh, I'm just throwing this off the top of my head, but uh, maybe in in a uh, custom-made campaign, there's going to be, like, a briefcase that you have to go capture or grab in a zombie-infested apartment building and bring it back to, I don't know, say, like, a truck so that... I don't know, the the government can use these vials in the briefcase to cure the infection. I mean, that's just right within the co-op gameplay type, and that's essentially capture the flag. That sounds excellent. I hope someone makes a level like that. <laughs> I'm, now you've said that, I'm curious whether somebody will actually reverse engineer it and, and release a single-player version where you... Um, I mean, I know you can play just with your friends and stuff, but maybe, you know, add more elements to the story or take away the other people because I don't like squads. I wonder if somebody would do that. You loner, you. <laughs> okay, I think You're that's enough uh, Left 4 Dead. I think that's enough okay. Left 4 Dead. Uh, very quickly, William. Um, I want to mention the, the demo. I noticed that my demo stopped working, and I'm curious whether other people have had the same the same thing, whether your demo actually stops working completely once you've downloaded it and the game was released. Anybody? Nick has said that the demo has been repackaged, um, as far as I know. I don't know if he can uh, confirm that, but I think you, you remove your current demo and you can download a new demo that is repackaged with a different type of game play. I haven't played the new demo. I have the full game, so... But there is a demo available. Oh, okay. I'll do that then. I'll delete and try again. So, that's the situation with that. Okay. Half-Life news. Enough about Left 4 Dead. Um, we're going to get to the releases first, because the releases are always the interesting things to talk about, and there have been tons of releases this week. Um, most notably, Half-Life Zombie Edition 1.0 and uh, 1.01, the update demo, has been released. And we all kind of had a chance to play this, because I know a few of you were playing this before the recording. What do you guys think of this? Excellent, um, excellent technology behind it, and it's a great original idea. And the way he, uh, Shooter Andy tries to tie it into the Half-Life story, it'll make you go, oh, that's really cool. But... It's got its bugs, that's why it's a 1.0 release, and I think it's in dire need of a readme or some something like that. 
Yeah, I found it out a lot of bugs too. Just for a little backstory, if there's any listeners out there who don't know what this is, Half-Life Zombie Edition allows you to play as the zombies of Half-Life. So you can play as a head crab and everything small, kind of like a rat map, and you attack um, other scientists or Barneys or even grunts, and you can take them over, and then you turn them into a zombie, and you can transmutate into different zombies. And uh, it really gives you another... Uh, I guess, a viewpoint of the Half-Life universe. It is fun, but I I wasn't able to transmutate because there was some sort of bug which didn't allow me to do so. So there is a lot of bugs, but I would give it like an 8 out of 10. I can't wait to see this game be finished or finalized. I wouldn't give it that much. I mean, the technology was great, but I found that without any kind of structure or narrative, I was just aimlessly wandering around whacking zombies with M4s. Does... Uh... Does anybody know, do you actually start as a head crab and then you have to work your way up to a zombie? Yep. Yeah, you do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the best <laughs> bits is, um... Sorry, one of the best bits is the beginning. Um, in the original Half-Life, there's a scene where a scientist pushes a filing cabinet on a head crab and the one jumps up from behind. What's great is that you end up being that head crab and jump on that zombie and uh, take his body and become a lovely little uh, zombie. I think it's cool the way many developers in the community have tried to see Half-Life from many different angles. There was like a mod called Cleaner's Adventures, and then there was another one where you play uh, something else, and there was even a mod where you play a Vortigon. I can't remember the name of that one. That was kind of cool. Point of that. View. Yeah, Point it, of View, that's, that's it. it, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's a cool thing, and I love the way the community does that, especially if they tie it tightly in with the story like uh, it sounds like Andy has done with this uh, zombie edition. Well, that's the that's the uh, the legacy of um, Gearbox and their expansions. I think um, you know when uh, uh, you know when you know it was decided that Gearbox was going to do an expansion for Half Life. They had several different pitches for you know ideas of what to do. You know, one was c- the continuing adventures of Gordon Freeman, and one was playing from an alternative perspective as one of the soldiers. And uh, Valve loved that idea, playing playing through Half Life from another angle and since the success of Opposing Force it's become you know traditional in the mod scene you know Half-Life all over again from a new angle that's what's great about our scene too is that people make so many different segues of Half-Life and it's nice um, everybody loves to throw in their own two cents of how they think something will work but anyway I think it's an, it's an excellent uh, it's an excellent mod and there's definitely some potential hopefully he can work out those bugs and uh, you know that's what this demo's all about though we we always talk about demos, uh, but hopefully he gets enough community feedback so that he can work out all these bugs so when he finally releases the game, it would be bug-free and everybody will be able to just play it uh, vanilla without editing anything. I'd like to take issue with, with demo releases within the community uh, in general. I don't think these things should be called demos. I think they should be called public betas because demo gives people a completely different impression. And if he's looking for bugs and he wants feedback then that's fine. Then it's a it's a beta. But if he's releasing something to show you what's about to come, then, you know, I think that's that's completely different. And the same with Wilson Chronicles, which we're going to talk about. They're not talking about releasing until the third quarter 2009. Um, so, I mean, that's not, a, that's not a demo. That's a really early beta. Right, and that is actually our next point of topic, and that is Half-Life Wilson Chronicles. And uh, this is another public beta, as Philip says. Um, I didn't like this one as much. I actually had to go into the config files and change a variable so that I can get it to run. Um, but other than that, it wasn't that fun. I just felt it 
extremely linear, and there's nothing special about it. Um, I don't know. It's and also on top of it's in French. Uh, none of it was working really properly. Has anybody else played this? I um, gave it a quick shot before the uh, before we started recording, and I again is French, and I had to change the config files just like you, and it was just rather confusing, really. Um, didn't really know what was going on or what I was supposed to be doing. Just again, just running forwards, shooting stuff. Yeah, well, it, there's nothing, there's nothing special about it. Go ahead. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I haven't tried it myself, but I mean, if it's in a foreign language, then you kind of expect it to be confusing. You can't mark something down for being in a foreign language. No, that's not what I mean. Um, I guess I should clarify. There's a lot of issues with it when, um, for example, when there should be a caption of something. It'll just say demo title 1 or demo title 2 or demo title 3 because he hasn't tied those in with the titles.txt file. And you can see the stuff that's supposed to be printed, but he just didn't do it properly. And uh, I'm not liking it because it's in French. I'm not like... I, the reason I don't like it is because it's extremely linear and it was boring, to be honest. There just wasn't... I can't even remember anything significant from it. I'm uh, just talking about it now, so... I can't, of course, I can't comment on the linearity. You might be right about that, but um, what can be difficult when um, you know doing something like subtitles or versions, you know, for other countries, other languages, is sometimes the you know the game files and directory structure can be different between language versions. I remember uh, the French mod Half-Life Invasion, um, not, uh, which was 90% of the game was just fighting um, enemy soldiers. Um, they didn't say anything if you were English, because the, the location of the sound files was different, and so I sent them a tiny little patch that let the uh, grunts actually be able to speak, um, which greatly improved the game, but if they were totally unaware of it, they didn't know that the location of the English sound files is different to the French. That's another good point, I never really thought of that, so I, I guess I can't knock it for that. It just wasn't exciting, I, that's basically my final review of it. Next on our list, and uh, I think we're going to have a lot of heated disagreements here, is uh, Transitions was released for Half-Life 2. I'm not sure if it was released this week, but it's on Planet Philip, and I couldn't find it really anywhere else, so we're just going to say it's released. And, uh, Philip, you want to talk about this? Yeah, it's, um, it's actually quite old. I can't remember the day. I'll, I'll check it up in a second. But I quite liked it, which is unusual for me because normally I'm really ultra-critical. And most of my readers didn't like it either. But I felt that it actually introduced a, this, a new game type where you had so little chance to survive, you had to use the energy pools. And you almost had to sit in those energy pools and you know, live off, uh, fight off the attack for the Vortigaunts and then move on again. And... The, a lot of people complained about the textures, which, you know, they were low res and they weren't very good. But uh, I quite liked it because it was just something a little different. I don't really like Zen. I never liked Zen in the first uh, game. But it was it was new. So I was kind of, you know, I quite liked it. Anybody else? If you mean by new game type, you mean annoying, repetitive, shoot Vortigons in the face and has nothing to do with the Half-Life storyline. I entirely agree with you. <laughs> I had a strange bug where if you moved, like, a foot away from the G-Man, he became completely silent, so I wasn't paying attention, and when he opened the door, I went through it, and I inadvertently finished Half-Life, apparently. Yeah. You know, the game boasts that it's, uh, uh, it's the transitions that builds the gap between Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2, but that makes absolutely no sense, 
Because you start off in the tram, and uh, the G-Man gives you the decision whether or not to go into the portal and work for him, or stay and be confronted with, you know, a battle you have no chance of winning. And the way the Half-Life storyline works is you walk into the portal, but this game actually works that you don't go into the portal and you get teleported out. So first off, that's my first gripe with it. It has nothing to do with Half-Life because it's an alternative storyline. It's not a transition storyline. Second off, the Vortigaunts are never your enemy in the Half-Life series. They are are controlled by the controllers. That's why they have the, uh, the, the restraints and the cuffs and everything and the neck cuffs and everything. So... This is my second rant with it, because the author says the Vortigons have to decide whether or not you're working with the G-Man, or you're the enemy, or you're the friend. It's just, there's so many things wrong with this game that it bothers the crap out of me. Like, so bad. First off, he's using Half-Life Episode 2 Vortigons, which have no shackles. So, they aren't, they aren't even your enemies because they aren't being controlled. Second off, like... The whole game is ridiculously repetitive. I played it on hard, and yes, I beat it. And yes, I got ridiculously frustrated. But it was so repetitive, and there's so much trial and error in this game that pissed me off beyond belief. I do not want a game where I walk into a room, and I'm like, hmm, should I go through Portal 1, Portal 2, Portal 3, and I go through Portal 1, and then I go back into the room. Oh, it looks like I have to go through Portal 2. And then here's another room. Oh, I'm back in the original room. Oh, this game frustrated me to no end. And Nick got to hear about all of it because I dictated my whole gameplay experience to him. To be fair, I think um, you're a bit wrong about the Vortigaunts never being your your enemies. Um, although the you know the Vortigaunts were being controlled in Half-Life One, they were slaves. Um, you know the fact is that Gordon Freeman did kill about a hundred thousand of them over the course of the game. So whether they're being controlled or not, I think they might harbour a few bad feelings if this is indeed set right after Half-Life One is finished. That's true. That's a good point. Did anybody in the original Half-Life actually not go in the portal? Because I didn't, and you just end up going up against uh, a load of um, the alien grunts. Although you don't actually get to fight them, but that's how the actual thing happens, instead of alien slave. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't too. I didn't jump. You just go in with like, loads of gargs and all sorts of stuff. Or well, not gargs, the one smaller than the gargs. Yeah, grunts, and then They're it grunts. fades to black. I wish, I, I wish Valve would have at least given you a chance to fight that. The problem there is that players might not have realised that it was truly unwinnable. They might have thought it was an ultimate final boss battle and kept on retrying and retrying and retrying to try and fight their way through, even though the odds are genuinely impossible. <laughs> have you guys noticed, though, in the end of Half-Life 1, when you get teleported to that grunt area, there's actually, behind all the grunts, there's grunt sprites to make it look like there's, like, an infinite amount of grunts? Yeah. Amusing yeah, little, little, amusing little sprites. <laughs> Ye old 1998 technology. Yeah, that's, I always found that funny. There was um, there's a mod uh, for Half-Life One, Sweet Half-Life, where um, at the end there you end up in areas then, and there is a truly ludicrous number of alien grunts. And on my old computer, playing with the high definition pack, the uh, game totally slowed down because there were so many alien grunts. That's how it should have ended. <laughs> but I was confused though too, playing transitions. Uh, I wasn't sure whether or not I was supposed to go into the portal or not. So I was talking to Nick while I was playing this game, and I was like, just out of curiosity, I'm not going to go into the portal. And it turned out that was the game. And I was like, wait, 
was I supposed to go in the portal, or was I not supposed to go in the portal? So then, you know, I played it all again, and then I went in the portal, and it was like, congratulations, you beat Half-Life 1, go play Half-Life 2. And I'm like, oh, come on, that's so cheap. <laughs> yeah, when I first played it, I thought that was the mod, and it was literally just 10-second map. I thought that was hilarious, and then I realized it was actually a, a mod, and I, I was disappointed after that. <laughs> What we're saying, listeners, is that uh, it looks like it's a love or hate map. You know, you either love it or you hate it. But see, I like the level design. The level design was awesome. I've got to give credit to someone for having the guts to do to do Zen, um, you know, because so many people hated Zen at the end of Half-Life, so it takes a lot of guts to decide to do a Zen mod for Half-Life 2. Um, I think the only thing I know which really did Zen well was um, was the point of view mod for Half-Life 1 where you played as a Vortigaunt and um, the first few levels in Zen were fantastic um, but it didn't feature jumping puzzles it featured you fighting human soldiers with guns because you were um, an alien and you know and that made the game fantastic but otherwise um, Zen is a, a sore point with a lot of people so you know give credit to the mod author for having guts yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I really liked the environments, and I liked how he portrayed it. I just didn't like the repetitiveness. But, either way. Next up on our list is the Lost Canyon release from the whole Half-Life. I don't know if you guys got a chance of playing this. Um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm on the fence with it. It wasn't good nor bad, and that's really all I have to say. It's like a trap game. You run through it. And uh, you have to make your way through these traps in this kind of pyramidisk-like environment. Anybody else play this? No, I haven't. I'm going to play it tomorrow and add it to the um, uh, to Planet Philip tomorrow. All right. So anyway, that's my that's what all I have to say about that. It's really simple. If you guys like it, you should, or if you guys if that sounds familiar, if you like puzzle maps, then uh, you should check it out. And lastly, I'm not going to cover all these other things on our list because we got a lot of stuff to do, but uh, lastly on our release list is Half-Life DAV sub-demo release, and unfortunately none of us can play this because this is for the one only version of Half-Life, which really aggravated me, but he is saying, he did say he's coming out with a Steam release soon, so at least that's coming. But uh, if you have a one version of Half-Life, give it a shot. I still have a one version of Half-Life. I do too, I what just don't want to install yours? it. You throw it away? No, no it's I think most somewhere. people have it. Yeah, exactly. I think most people like William, I have it. I have many. Um, but we just don't install it because it's, installing Steam is too easy now. Yeah, I just have to dig it up and then I'd have to find my CD keys. It's not... Meh. Alright, now up to some updates. And uh, we're just going to shoot through this because I always take so long to do this and I apologize. I'm just going to go down the list, and first off on the top of the list is a great history of uh, Valve on PHL, because this week was the 10th anniversary of Valve, or of Half-Life, and it goes through the very beginning to now, and they talk about things like Team Fortress Classic, and Counter-Strike, and DoD, and how Half-Life actually got started with the combination of two games, of Quiver and Prospero, and uh, they talk about Blue Shift, and all the different announcements of the Source Engine, it's really cool. You guys should take a read. There's some things that even I learned, and uh, really, really good information there. And to counter that, Stenchi at ModDB did a 10-year tribute to uh, Half-Life looking back, and he also covers um, almost the same amount of topics. Um, Counter-Strike, Team Fortress Classic, Day of Defeat, uh, The Ship, 
He has a little video there for you to check out. Really, really interesting stuff. How did you guys celebrate the birthday of Half-Life? I made a map. You made a map? Did you make a birthday map? No. Aww. It honestly didn't click with me until like 12.02 the next day. I was like, oh, wait. It was Half-Life's birthday. (laughs) Yeah. I realized the next day as well. I realized at the beginning of the month, but then completely missed the actual day. Well, you guys might make fun of me, but I actually had a cake. All by myself. I went over... Actually, not really a cake, it was a pie. In Canada, we have Tim Hortons, which is kind of like your Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. And uh, I bought a pie, and I brought it back, and I sang in my head. Are you serious? Yeah, 100%. real point of law. <laughs> oh. My. God. Alright, I, I should just stop talking about um, how pathetic I am and continue on with the news. <laughs> anyway, um, moving right along, Black Mesa released some media uh, on the Half-Life anniversary and some awesome stuff. I know, Philip, you're super excited for this mod. What do you think of the media that was released? It just gets better and better, doesn't it? I mean, I was so convinced they were actually just going to release the mod um, on the birthday. I was so convinced they were going to do that and, you know, surprise everybody. But they didn't, but they released media. And honestly, I think this is going to reinvigorate the community, especially the uh, SP community, because there's going to be so many people who want to use the textures and hopefully they'll allow people to do that and maybe even remake some of the old mods that were available in Half-Life 1, but it's looking fantastic. I mean, the zombie was very nice, very nice. This game is going to be better than most Valve games, I think. It's it's incredible, the, the stuff they're putting out. I've contacted the team leader and requested, begged uh, an interview, so hopefully we'll hear back soon. And if anybody from the Black Mesa team is listening and you want to be on the show, please just send me an email and you can come straight on. Yeah. We'll teleport you, in fact. Yeah, I don't mean to <laughs> crush your hopes for it. You said earlier you hoped they'd uh, you know, let people use the textures and things and recreate some old classic mods. Uh, I actually seem to recall the developers saying they uh, that they wouldn't allow people to do that. You'll be able to create levels for the Black Mesa mod, so if it's, a, if it's a mod that doesn't require any new code, you know, no new weapons, no enemies, no new enemies, then you'll be able to make it. But uh, I don't think they'll let you stick their textures and models into a totally separate mod. I mean, you, I suppose you could do it anyway, and uh, I'm not sure what they could do to you. I doubt they can you know, hire a bunch of lawyers to sue you, but uh, they're not in favour of people doing that. Which strikes me as a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, yeah, it does. But, I mean, if you can just make a map and it just uses those assets, then I'm happy with that. Um, I'm not really sure why they wouldn't want to do that. I mean, they put a lot of work in, and the more um, publicity they get, the better. But if that's their choice, that's fine. But hopefully we'll get some maps that can use those textures and assets. Yeah, it's possible they might change their mind. I think it's just because there were a bunch of people talking already about making this mod or that mod, and they were just planning to rip off, you know, Black Mesa textures and models, you know, waiting, you know, basically let Black Mesa do all the work when it comes to texturing and modelling. Weren't they stung by um, somebody stealing some media and stuff ages ago anyway, so kind of put them in in bad light from that point of view. It's interesting you bring that up because uh, 
you know, I usually don't talk about S mod mods, but there's there's an S mod mod that just recently shut down because I guess they were stealing data from another S mod mod and the guy that was getting his data stolen or used in this version of SMOD got really mad and immediately posted on their ModDB profile like shut this down I do not give you permission to use my stuff and there was this huge flame war going on on ModDB it was all very childish and uh, over dramatic but interesting to watch nonetheless I always thought it was pronounced SMOD yeah I don't even know I, I say SMOD I think most people say S-Mod. Never occurred to me to call it S-Mod. So, uh, Black Mesa looks awesome. There's the story behind that. Firearms 2 also released a media update. And it was interesting because there's like two Firearms 2 mods. Um, I don't have the other link here, but both of them released media on the same day. So, it gets confusing during that, or in that little sense of things. Uh, so check that out if you, there's links on the uh, show notes. And I promised Duck Sauce that we'll talk about Frag Frag out. Um, maybe you guys can just take a look real quick in the mod DB profile and let me know what you think. It looks really well done. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like a uh, a funny grenade mod. And uh, Duck Sauce is working on this. A listener of Podcast Seventeen. And uh, they did release some new things. Uh, There's some new images out there about a new wind-powered boat grenade. And uh, they define their game mode plans and everything. There's a video there, too. Um, It looks pretty cool. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I mean, everybody knows I'm not a a multiplayer fan, but I like the idea. They've decided on something. We're just going to use grenades. How many different types of grenades can we think of? I think it's kind of cool. I, uh, I respect that. So keep up the good work. It it makes me think of old classics like uh, like Bomberman, you know, a game where you are a guy with bombs. You don't get guns. You're forced just to use gun to use bombs. It's a different, you know, it's a different sort of gameplay. You know, a bit more tactical. As long as as long as the grenades aren't, you know, as long as the grenades are all timed rather than instant detonation, there's uh, you know that bit of a tactical element to it. I think it looks really cool. I, I, it'll be fun. I can't wait till it comes out. Yeah, it could be interesting. I'm not a huge fan of using grenades, but hey, it's a pretty new gameplay mechanic, and Lord knows that's what we need. All right, so that's it for the news. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, Somebody wanted to announce their uh, new source mod. Okay, if I have to. I'm working on a new co-op source mod. It's called Trial by Fire. It is a top-down arcade... um, co-op mod, where the main goal is uh, getting through maps as you can, killing giant hordes of enemies, and boasting about your high score. Uh, A lot like, say, Ragnarok Arena. One of the main things I'm working on with this mod is a lot of replayability. Like, every single map has at least three different paths that branch out into three more paths, and so on and so on, because something I've noticed with a lot of co-op mods is the maps will be very, 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 very linear. And once you've beaten them, that... Yeah, that's it. So tell us about this top-down aspect of it, though. Well, have you ever played, um... Oh, what's the word? <laughs> I just totally lost it. Uh, Smash TV, or Gauntlet. A lot of the Both older arcade-style games. Yeah. It's a lot like that. There's also uh, Shadowgrounds, which was released on Steam. Um, I, I enjoyed that. That was a top-down, arcade sort of game. Anyone else played that, Shadowgrounds? I've played it, but not on Steam, so... so. 
Yeah, I played the demo on Steam. It was a lot of fun. So this should be interesting. You don't see... I mean, you see co-op... Uh, you see a lot of top-down co-op games, uh, most notably... Uh, we just recent I just recently played Space Siege and you know the whole Dungeon Siege franchise is kind of top downish, but that's more of an RPG fantasy type. Yeah, and I just, I just sat down for a while and I was like, okay, there's a lot of stuff being made for Source, and I want to eventually make a Source mod. What do I do? And I looked around and there is kind of a lack of co-op mods. I mean, we do have Synergy and we do have Obsidian Conflict, but they. <laughs> It it's like it's just a carbon copy of Half Life Two in co op, which is its own thing, and no one's really moving away from the first person aspect. Right. So are you looking for anybody to help you out with this on uh, help you out on this project? this project? Oh, completely. All all the time. If you'd like to help, you can get in contact with me on Half Life Creations, which has been on here before, but it's half lifecreationscom dot com. I should have a site up soon, but the uh, United Servers against Jed decided to work against uh, Daniel this week, and I, my domain hasn't been working correctly at all. But once that's up, it'll be trialbyfiremod.com. And uh, as soon as that's up, we'll put that in the show notes, so uh, all you listeners out there can head on over to the site. So if you see it on the right-hand side, go ahead and click it and check it out. So yeah, that sounds interesting. Thank you. Yes, good luck with that. So Philip, you want to uh, move us into the discussion? Okay, so uh, today's discussion is really about uh, how how much time you spend playing maps or how much time you spend playing mods. Sorry, how much time you spend playing games. Um, I'm curious because I'm uh, really quite different from most players in that I probably buy one, maybe maybe two games a year, and that's it. And uh, most of my time is spent playing mods and running on the website, of course. But I'm just curious, do most listeners and the guests as well, do you spend more time playing maps and mods, or do you spend more time playing retail games? I guess it depends on what's released that week. Um, when Fallout 3 was released, I played a lot of Fallout 3. And uh, I don't, this week I've been playing a lot of mods and maps. It's different every week for me. I'd say I play more more retail games than mods, I think. The first couple of years after Half-Life 2 came out, I was mostly playing um, you know, mods uh, rather than other retail games. But nowadays I tend to play more retail more retail games. Um, funny enough, back with Half-Life 1, I kept playing Half-Life 1 mods right up until Half-Life 2 came out. And and after you know the Half-Life 1, I must have played a good 100, 200 mods for Half-Life 1. I agree. I... <clears throat> I've been playing more retail stuff. Whenever a mod or map has been released, I always try it, but they can, they never seem to hook me and keep me playing like a lot of the quality retail stuff. Well, I find I go through uh, mods and maps so quickly that um, they really don't give me a chance to play them for the whole week. I mean, I'm not going to play a, a single-player mod a second time during the week, so I'll just you know default back on the retail games I'm currently working on. Yeah, of course. I mean, the the amount of time that uh, a retail game gameplay give, game wise gives you is a lot more than a mod. But if you were to add up all of that time over the year, I'm curious. I posted this question on Planet Philip back in August, and I got 96 votes, and 65% of them said that they spent more time playing 
um, mods than games. So that's kind of interesting. And I think I've mentioned this before. If I was a, a game maker, I'd be a little upset with people like Valve because all, when they release a game, you know that hundreds of people are going to make mods and that kind of takes away the time that those people are away, uh, have less time to play your retail games. Well, part of it for me is I play a lot more mods than I play retail games, but here's what here's how I, here's how you get a mod. You go to moddb.com, you click download, you download it, you install it, you restart Steam, you play the mod. Here's how you get a retail game. You make sure you want to buy that retail game. You go to the store, you pay $50, you bring it home, install it, and play it. It's a lot easier for me to get mods, and it's a lot cheaper. That's a good point, too. With that said, though, I will never interrupt, like if I'm playing a retail game, I will play that retail game until I beat it, or until I get fed up with it. I will either put it down and stop playing it, or beat it and put it down. So I'm not going to go ahead and uh, play a different retail game while I'm playing one already, if you follow what I'm saying. However, I will always interrupt the playing of a retail game to play a Half-Life mod that has just been released. And I will, I will always interrupt another Half-Life mod for a newer Half-Life mod. So, I guess there's just different types of gameplay styles. I think Half-Life takes priority. I just don't think it's enough. And There's enough there for me to just play more of Half-Life mods in retail. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, I mean, I would be si similar to you, William, that I'm like that. But uh, what if there were many more mods that spent a lot more time? I mean, if you had to choose between a really good mod for Half-Life 2, for example, and a new game that was coming out, what would you choose? The mod. And everybody else? The mod. I think it might depend on whether it was single-player or multiplayer. If it's, if it's single-player, then whether you play the new retail game now or a month or two later won't make any difference. And if you get it later, then you get the game cheaper. Uh, if it's multiplayer, then you want to get in playing with everyone else, playing with your friends, in which case the multiplayer might come first. But then... You know, you can't. You probably won't play that multiplayer game. You know, every day you, your mates won't be online all the time, so probably play the the mod um, just a couple of days later. Yeah, Nick actually brings up a good point in chat. Um, Nick and I are both extreme co-op junkies, so if there's any retail game that comes out that has co-op, we'll immediately play that, and uh, any mod that has co-op, we'll immediately play that as well. Well, I'm glad I have two addicts to look forward to. Need their latest <laughs> fix. Oh, yeah. For me, it depends what they're doing. Like, if a mod is literally just another single-player Half-Life mod, even even if it is really polished, if if there's a retail game which is doing something really different, like maybe Mirror's Edge or Portal, you know, something that's changing things, I'll definitely go for that because I can kind of already see how that mod's going to play. And it, but it also works completely vice versa as well. I'm a little bit biased though too. Um, I have to admit. I, I feel like it's my obligation to play Half-Life mods. It's not my obligation to play retail, mainly because of this podcast. It's um, I owe it to the listeners to keep up to date with everything. So when a new mod comes out, I have to play it, not only because I want to, but because I feel like I need the information and I need to know about that for when we talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, that's difficult. I mean, I used to be like that with Planet Philip before I focused on Half-Life, that everything I added I had to try and play and I felt that it eventually it had a negative aspect a negative effect on me because I was opening up these mods thinking oh, I don't really want to play this but I really just I have to because I I've got to post images or something and I think in the long term that's really bad that 
We should see something and say, do I want to play this, yes or no? If it's no, it's no. And you're right, we owe something to the listeners, but at the same time, uh, it's our time and we all have limited time. So, those are our opinions on that. Yes, and if you're listening, uh, tell us what you think. I mean, you know, post on the comments of this section. Would you prefer a new game or would you prefer a really good new mod? Um, I mean, the thing is, uh, those that have come over from, um, from Planet Philip might be a bit biased. Um, because people visiting Planet Philip tend to be into mods, and as you said, you know the Planet Philip poll showed more people were into mods. But then again, fans of mods tend to be the people that visit Planet Philip. If you ask the sort of general gaming population at large, even those that consider themselves Half-Life fans, um, they'd probably go more with retail games. I think once you get into mods, um, you know you start to play a lot. You realise, my, my goodness, you know there's a hundred. You know, I bought one game and I've got 100 mods for free, and you start to work your way through them. I understand what you're saying, but just because you're a visitor of Planet, to Planet Philip doesn't mean that you don't like other games as well. I mean, they are a little biased, but they don't have to be biased towards mods more than games. It's interesting to see, though. I, I mean, I know we, we previously just said we're going to move topics, but you just reminded me of something. Planet Philip listeners are generally single-player players, and it's... It's still, even still with that said, the poll um, the poll is showing that people play more mods. And I would expect that with multiplayer players because, you know, multiplayer mods are longer. You can play it for an infinite amount of time. So that's a really interesting correlation. Yeah, maybe it's supposed to work the opposite. You're right. Maybe they spend more time um, playing games because the mods don't, SP mods, don't give them as much time to play. Whereas MP mods perhaps give them much more time. Right. Anyway, okay, moving on. Um, we're going to try um, something a little bit different today. I mean, we've brought up Half-Life, Half-Life or Trivia, as Philip has it in the show notes. Um, we've had Half-Life Trivia before, but today we have Alex on the show, and he's going to introduce um, uh, kind of a trivia slash discussion slash let's see how deep you can dig within your creativity about uh, Half-Life 2. So, Alex, why don't you take it away? Half-Life 2 tells us very little about the Combine's plans for Earth. We see the human and environmental impact, um, but we don't really know why they're here. Um, the simplest explanation for what the Combine are doing on Earth is that they're here to strip Earth of resources, and, and one in particular, water. Um, now, some of you may remember that um, early in Half-Life 2's development, Valve considered having part of the game set in vast salt flats, where the ocean had drained away to expose the seabed. Um, and in their book, Half-Life 2 Raising the Bar, they mentioned that uh, the ocean was actually disappearing down a vast teleport drain. Uh, now, many fans assumed that idea was scrapped, uh, along with a whole bunch of uh, other ideas, like the air exchange that was turning the atmosphere toxic. Um, but the truth is that Valve didn't scrap that idea. Uh, you don't cross any salt flats in the game, and you, do not, and you don't get to see a teleport drain. But in Half-Life 2's coastal sections, many of the piers and docks are a long way from the water's edge, and the sand is littered with loads of beach ships. You can also see moss halfway up the harbour structures, uh, marking uh, where the old tide lines were before the water drained away. And um, you know, the beach is actually the exposed seabed. And uh, that also explains why um, City 17's canal system just has a tiny little trickle of water in it. So, you know, it's an interesting little detail in the game. 
that uh, that the sea levels are dropping, and uh, I think it you know gives us an indication of uh, what the combine are really up to. Yeah, you're right. I mean, all of those levels are down, and you see it in the mods and in the game as well. And it would be interesting to see this particular uh, teleport drain. I mean, somebody could have made a mod in a similar vein to Minerva, which was incredibly detailed. That something like that could have been a fantastic setting for a particular mod with the drain. Um, do you think that all the f the the fact that a lot of the episode three uh, media, which isn't very much, admittedly is set in Antarctic and the Borealis is there as well. I know some people think that it just happens to be that the Borealis is in Antarctica, but from some of the media I've seen, it seems that the advisors have got some kind of base set up in the ice, and I don't think that that's a coincidence. Anybody else? Uh, I just think it's there. I think it's an isolated area where they can conduct research, and that's why it's in the Arctic. But uh, I think we're going to learn a lot about what the Combine are doing when we get to the Borealis, because the Borealis has... Little to do with City 17, and uh, so much to do with the rebel involvement. And there's so many intelligent people, most likely stationed at the Borealis, that uh, we're going to be able to hear a lot of what they're going to have to say about what's going on. I I got the impression, you know, with the whole um, you know advisor base that you mentioned, that you know the Combine have found the Borealis and they've set up a huge you know, installation to study it or to, you know, to strip it bare and extract its technology, something along those lines. Um, it would be cool if we got to see, you know, some kind of central main combine facility, you know, that was draining the oceans away, but I doubt it will play a part in the story. I think, I think Valve are keeping it behind, behind the scenes. So what other resources do we think that the combine are stripping from the, uh... Human. <laughs> yeah. Humans, yes, humans ourselves. Yeah. We are a resource. You know, they um, they turn us into the uh, combine Overwatch transhuman soldiers. And uh, one of the punishments for doing badly is supposed to be off-world reassignment, according to uh, one of Breen's speeches in Nova Prospect. So um, it might not be merely a punishment. It could be that a significant military force from Earth is stationed in other combine. Worlds eventually, when Earth becomes sort of un un uninhabitable, um, humanity, you know, they'll take a whole bunch of us, turn us all into cyborgs, and um, you know, have them uh, have humans conquering new worlds for the Combine. The Combine are also taking the uh, ideas noted from Zen, um, with the whole we talked about alien slaves again and how the slaves are enslaved. Um, they're doing the same thing with humans on Earth, which I think has a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, the the name itself is very, um, a big clue here, Combine. I mean, surely, it, it, this is what it suggests to me, is that the advisors combine what they already have with the the uh, species that they encounter. And I think it might be nice to actually see some combined versions of some of the Zen in, inhabitants. I'm not sure, I'm trying to pick things off the top of my head, but, um, you know, some of the Vortigaunts, uh, combined with some combined technology. I don't know. Well, a perfect example of that sort of thing are the um, like the flying gunships because they're like half uh, organic and half metallic, and even the striders, you know, things like that, don't really grow naturally. Obviously, not in Earth and things like that. They're just combining things with flying discs and crazy shiz to uh, you know, get the best of every world that they can. Harvest, so to speak. 
Yeah, the Striders come from Strider Mountain, which will be really soon, one hopes. Just been reading on our little chat thing going here. Combine is really just a slang. It's just a nickname. The official title is Universal Union. So that's just me making up rubbish. So if you just heard that, ignore my part about Combine. It doesn't make sense. Well, then again, I mean, you do see sort of, you know, markings, sort of official Combine lettering on things, which say CMB, seemingly. And Breen himself calls them the combine when talking in private rather than on the speeches um, I have a feeling that combine is more than just a slang term it's what they originally were called and uh, the whole universal union thing is a big PR exercise well the thing with uh, when you mention the lettering the lettering to me looks alien it may, it may just you know be a coincidence that it looks like combine or that may be the idea where the name combine came from in the story of the game of course what what I wonder is what the normal citizens of City 17 are supposed to be up to. At the start of Half-Life 2, you see them, you know, just sitting around the place, you know, scared and oppressed. And um, I wonder, do do they have jobs? Do the Combine make them go to jobs and do work for them? Um, you know, or is basically the whole of humanity that's not Civil Protection or Overwatch are they just basically in a sort of planet-wide concentration camp? Then again, concentration camps, people are put to work. Um, you don't see any humans put to work doing anything. Mm, good in, um, point. In raising the bar, uh, in one of the original, yeah, the player was supposed to go through a like child factory, weren't they? Where the the small children were working on combine things or whatever, and obviously that was scrapped for various reasons. It's almost like they're being prisoners in their own homes. Um, whenever I think of City 17 or any of the city-related materials, I always obviously think of 1984. And in, and clearly um, there was some concepts taken from 1984. And I think, I think they don't need to work because they're trusted that the Combine is doing all the work for them. It's almost like the Combine came down to Earth with the intent of... Um, cutting, threshing, and then cleaning of the grain, almost, so to speak. And uh, humanity was put on hold for a little bit while the Combine did their work. And then the co the humanity is led to believe that once they're done, the Combine w will be able to leave, and then, uh, you know, they can go back to their normal lives. So if any listeners want to add anything to that, you've got your own theory that you'd like to tell us about, or you think that we're wrong, then, you know, tell us. Send in an audio question or an audio correction. Okay, so moving on, we're now on to Website of the Week. This week I've picked a website that was actually quite useful for people. It's called Tweak Guides, and it's simply tweakguides.com, but we'll put the link into the sidebar once we publish. It's a site where you go to tweak your installation of games and some other software to make sure it runs really, really well. And it's very, very detailed. The person who runs it does this for a living now. So every time a new game is released or one that he's particularly interested in, he buys it and he goes through all the settings. And it has an excellent section for Half-Life 2. So if, you're, if you find that your Half-Life 2 installation is stuttering or it's not giving you the best frame rates or you want to increase the resolution, take a look at this because it really can help. And he also has a great guide for Windows XP as well and possibly Vista. I haven't checked because I'm still on XP. What about the guests? Have you uh, visited this website? 
Yeah, um, it was it was totally invaluable for when I played um, Stalker: Shadow of Chernobyl um, on my old computer. Um, it really wouldn't have been able to handle the game if it weren't for tweak guides. It gave this excellent tip on um, disabling a certain setting, pre-caching, I think, and that stopped the game from stuttering every 20 seconds and um, and increase load t- and uh, decrease load times as well. So um, you know, and I wouldn't have known about that if it weren't for tweak guides. And also Doom 3, um, you know, everyone complains that Doom 3 was too dark. Well, Doom 3 didn't have a gamma setting, it had brightness, but it didn't have a gamma setting. And with Tweet Guides, I was able to find out, you know, how to adjust the gamma and actually make Doom 3 playable. Yeah, I might go through their Fallout 3 Tweet Guide, because, I mean, Fallout 3 runs well on my PC, but uh, not as good as it should. And even with Half-Life 2... um even when I have it on full HDR and Bloom, it can stutter a lot, especially with that map that we just talked about earlier today, the uh, the kind of pyramid puzzle map. That I actually had to turn off HDR and Bloom because it was running so horribly. Then I feel bad, and I want to turn it back on. But Yeah. Uh, tweet Guides really helped me play Battlefield 2 back when the game came out, and my computer wasn't exactly the best. So it sounds like all of the guests have found the site very useful. So thank you to the author for that, and keep up the good work. And if you're listening, go visit her tweet guides. Next on our list is video of the week. This week we have something called Half-Life 2 Anxiety, and the tagline is Hitchcock meets half It's very... It's, I liked it. I'm not really a big Machinima fan, but it's about seven minutes long, and I watched it all the way through. It's not perfect. It's not, you know, not going to win an Oscar or anything. Um, but it's it's good. And talking of that, does anybody actually know if there are awards for machinimas? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I you're think, getting. Doesn't yeah. ModDB do some? I'm sure there's other big uh, sites that or machinima sites that do uh, awards. Has anybody here um, got a favorite machinima, like one they like keep up with? Well, not one I keep up with, but my favorite that I've ever seen is probably War of the Servers. Yeah, we talked about that last week with uh, with Litfuse Films. They're definitely I if as soon as there's a new Litfuse film com- that comes out, I definitely download that. I'm a I'm a fan of um, Gordon Freeman's Mind. It's a it's a set of um, machinimas which it, basically it's just someone playing through Half Life One, well Half Life Source, um, and with a constant narration over the top, which is Gordon's thoughts and what he's saying. So instead of a mute Gordon Freeman, you've got a really irritable guy as Gordon Freeman, and uh, and it's you know it's pretty damn amusing. Ooh, I don't like the sound of that. But going back to Half Life Anxiety, <laughs> have any of the guests uh, watched it? I've, uh, I've just started it. playing it. <laughs> Shame yeah, on you. That's why I sent an email of a week before, more or less. Oh, but actually, cut that because you guys came on the show late, so ignore that. Sorry. Yeah, of course. You know, I only got the email this morning. I got to watch about two minutes of the video, and uh, yes, it was. It did look quite impressive, and I intend to watch the whole thing once this is all over. And and uh, yeah, I, I liked it. It was quite well done. You know, multiple camera actions. You know, dialogue action. Um, you know, plenty of Hitchcock references, obviously. Um, you know, it's a bit of fun, and I thought, you know, well executed. My favorite part is actually the very beginning, the opening, uh, because it's like a perfect tribute to Saul Bass, and if 
if you know who Saul Bass is, he's the guy who did the, all the intros for almost every Hitchcock film. Um, you know, those he's a graphics designer that does uh, opening titles and posters. I just found that interesting that they kept along with that theme. There's a sequel as well, which we'll post on the website. I can't remember what it's called, but there's a sequel to it. I haven't watched it yet, so that looks good. It's called Half-Life 2 Nightmare. Yeah, yes, right that's cool. It's on the same site. Okay, well, that rounds us up for this week. Um, what we have, let me tell you about next week. Next week, we will have an exclusive preview of Combine Destiny 2. I have received the files, and William and I will be playing them along with whoever's our guest next week. So you'll be the first person or people to hear about Combine Destiny 2. So that's on next week. I would like to extend my... Uh, huge thanks to all of the guests this week. They appeared at such short notice, so thank you very much for appearing. And don't forget that if you want to contact us, you can do that via the website, which now has multiple ways of doing that. And William, any last words? I'd like to thank the listeners and Coach Go for not disconnecting my energy during the middle of the podcast. Gentlemen, guests, do you have any last words? Thanks for having me. Yay. Yeah, thanks for having me too. Yep, I had a great time. So, that's it. See you next week.